listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb 250. I am your host, the worst toilet in Scotland, Tyler Hannon. And with me today, as always, the kitten who survived, Kayla St. Ange. Hey. And joining us for the first time on this podcast, but an old friend of ours, a straight shot of heroin to the dick, <laughs> Kyle Vinton. It's the best old friend. <laughs> Mother Superior over here. How's it going, Kyle? I'm doing fine. That's good. That's good. Welcome to the pot. This podcast. We have been together on another podcast before. We've all been together on another podcast. It's before. true. It's true. It's a little reunion. Kyle hosts that podcast, but uh, here I'm in control. Show. I'm the captain. Not your, not your whim. Whatever you want to do with me. I mean, I want to ask you about movies mostly. Okay, great. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll Sweet. skip the heroine to the dick. Yeah, please. Not again. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just a special occasion. Just Is it like an annual thing or like a one-time it's thing? It's just like, you know, it was a Tuesday. It just happens. <laughs> Tuesdays are like that, you know? All right. <laughs> so <laughs> instead of doing that conversation. We're starting off on the rails, completely on the rails. Get 100%. it? Because heroin. On the ra- yeah and trains trains yeah. are on rails. true that too yeah she made that connection first <laughs> i forgot to look up why the movie was anyways we're talking about train spotting this week but before we get into train spotting we're just gonna have a little chat if you couldn't tell it might talk about movies maybe not kyle let's try to keep it about movies what did you watch in this past week or so oh god okay so I feel like through the past few weeks, uh, my media consumption has had a pretty consistent pattern. I watched uh, Sherman's March, which I, I, have either of you ever watched that movie? Nope. Okay, it's a weird um, documentary style journey of a man who supposes he's going to make a movie about uh, a Union General Sherman. General Sherman who wrecked the South and he says he's going to make a documentary about it. And really it just ends up being his journeys with women uh, he's constantly infatuated with different women. He stops pursuing this project at all. He uh, meets different people and just become basically falls in love with them in like a weird psychotic manner, uh, and has these strange. Like he narrates the entire thing, and it's just this his journey of traveling with these different women, and he never actually covers Sherman's March. So it's an incredibly odd movie. He's actually from North Carolina, so that was. An odd discovery on my part. That kind of reminds me of um, Steve Coogan did a movie a while back that was supposed to be an adaptation of Tristram Shandy, but the movie is like about Steve Coogan starring in a movie adaptation of Tristram Shandy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very similarly, very meta. It's, it's it was a strange experience, and then I started reading On the Road because I never got around to that in high school, and. Uh, I don't know, just thought I'd try it. And then I watched E2 Mama Tambien last night, Ooh. which is kind of what I want to talk about because it's uh, really enjoyed that experience. Have either of you watched it? Uh, yeah, I own it, actually. Okay, good. I have not, but it, it's been on my proverbial list of I movies. Haven't, yeah, I haven't watched it since high school, but I remember really enjoying it when I did watch it. It went through a big uh, like foreign movie phase with my high school boyfriend, so we kind of watched lots of those. <laughs> Yeah. Talk more about your high school boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> His name is Chris Evans. Um, <laughs> I wish. So yeah, I, I love Alfonso Cuarón's Children of Men, 
uh, it was kind of it was revolutionary for me because it showed me that action in sci-fi films can be uh, plotting when they want to and, and be thoughtful and construct a world rather than worry about uh, what action is taking place at any point in time. It was, he was really good at carving out a world and E2 Mama Tambien is ostensibly about um, these two very horny teenage boys uh, going on a road trip with this older wo- this older woman who uh, who has just had her life kind of pulled out from under her because her husband has cheated on her. So they embark on this road trip to the beach. But the entire film, and, and what I love about it, I love all of the... Uh, I love all of the sexual exploration, I mean, which is the focal point of the film. But Alfonso Cuaron does this beautiful thing with with uh, specifically driving scenes where he just has just this one unbroken take. And there's this one part of the film where the two boys are speaking about their friendship pact, like what rules their friendship and uh, how they live by each other. And the camera never breaks from this conversation, but it travels around like this very decorated uh, truck that you, you don't really know why uh, it's there. It could be for the political revolution that's occurring in Mexico at the time or for any other number of reasons. And the camera never breaks off from this conversation, but it's just exploring the countryside. It's a really beautiful shot. It's one of my favorite shots I've actually seen in a really long time. Um, so I was glad to see it. Yeah, it's, it's really good. So watch it again. Cause yeah, I remember just, I don't know. I've, I love stuff like that. I'm, like, the biggest, like, cinematography nerd ever. <laughs> so whenever there's a cool shot or, like, I'm a big fan of the long pan yes. across the scenery. <laughs> yeah. It, he And he's sort of the master of that because he just, he knows when to hold it. Um, there's that scene of Children of Men where, uh, what's, he's in the Nick, the guy's name. Can't. Um, uh, Jesus. I'm I'm blanking on it right now, but the, Clive Owen. Clive Owen, yeah, he Clive actually Owen is Jesus. Yeah, he actually is kind of Jesus in that movie. But um, you know, travels in this war torn building, and the the camera follows him. And like, if it cuts, it's very. I don't think there are any cuts during it. It's an incredible sequence, and he does the same thing here uh, several times. And it was just really nice to go and see that Alfonso Cuarón because I really didn't like Gravity. Um, uh, yeah, really didn't like Gravity. Uh, so I. It was nice to go back and see this film because I'd never seen it before and it was beautiful and it kind of fit in with my weird road trip sexual exploration media that I've been going with recently. So mm-hmm. it was fun. My favorite Alfonso Cuaron movie is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. That is the craziest thing. It's like, it's, it's honestly, it's one of my least favorite like adaptations of the source material but it's easily far and away the best looking movie yeah, in the so series. The insane <laughs> thing is that he directed E2 Mama Tambien and then went to direct one of the biggest young adult, uh, like basically children's franchise for movies ever. It's amazing. It's incredible. <laughs> you know. I wish he was supposed to do Goblet of Fire and I really wish that he had because I think he would have done a much better job <sighs> than whatever. They yeah. had like a revolving cast of directors. But um, I think I the Goblet was, of Fire He was still guys. finishing up prisoner of azkaban like post edits and stuff so he was like i don't have time for that so yeah yeah i'm, I'm so glad he he didn't right because it's he went on i think after that to make children of men which was a phenomenal film um i guess no, yeah it was... <laughs> i haven't seen children of men but it is on my list yeah I mean, some things are more important than others though and i wish he had realized that at the time that some things should take precedence harry potter affected us all <laughs> right yeah i just so we're going to talk about like train spottings ratings later on in the uh, in the podcast, but E2 Mama Tambien like went under like a 
a crazy controversy both in Mexico and the U.S. Where in the U.S. it wasn't even rated, which I, I don't I don't know about the legality of showing movies that aren't rated. I know it's up to the theater, um, but I know most theaters won't do that. So this unrated film, this unrated foreign language film, comes out, and then he's suddenly directing Harry Potter. Like how crazy of a transition of a career is that? I mean, yeah, that's that's something. It was insane. I feel like that's what happens with like Guillermo del Toro. Kind of has that same. Thing going on where it was like I directed this indie horror movie. Yeah, now I'm Hellboy. Now, yeah, now I'm in charge of this huge multi-million-dollar franchise. Speaking of which, right before those, I finally found tracked down a copy of The Devil's Backbone on DVD, which is one of his earlier movies, and it's a foreign language uh, horror movie that predated Hellboy and those things. I'm, I'm super sure. excited to watch that. Honestly, I'm pretty sure. Hold on, I have to check. But yeah, no, that was, I've been meaning to fi- track that one down forever and I haven't watched it at all, but I was so happy to find it in this random record store along with a pretty nice copy of Coherence, which is cool. It's pretty and good. And the Batman soundtrack on cassette. Oh yeah. Yeah. You tweeted about that. It was like three bucks for this cassette. Yeah. It's the greatest novelty purchase I've ever made. Do you have a car then with a cassette player? I, I did. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. I guess we were for like some. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Like some... <laughs> so, for a look behind the curtain, I two weeks ago totaled that car. So, Kyle is the devil. I'm so sorry. I just, I don't know right why now. I didn't. It's fine. Tyler I don't is actually on the care. windowsill about to jump out of my apartment. It's, we're on like it's bad. We're like on the second floor and there's like a nice grassy hill. No, beneath, Kyle, so you've actually... driven him to death. I don't have a car either, man. Don't worry, it's fine. We'll get through this. <laughs> yeah. We've had Tyler and I have had an interesting couple of weeks, to say the least. But let's talk about the movies we've watched in that time instead, yeah. as yeah. that's more relevant than our personal life. Yeah. Kayla. So um in the past week tyler and i have been really super gearing up for our halloween extravaganza month long well longer than a month months long celebration that we have done every year since we've been friends and um so we bought some apple cider and some alcohol and we ordered a pizza i mean we didn't have to go into the food part of it and we rented some horror movies and so we watched the first Paranormal Activity movie, which holds up pretty decently. Yeah, I was pretty I was pretty creeped out the whole time we were watching it. Um, I remember when I first saw that movie when it came out when I was in high school. I watched it with Trent, and we were in his basement, which is like ha- which is like half finished. So that was pretty creepy. High school boyfriend again. High school boyfriend for- Trent. Yeah. Those reoccurring character yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean that's where a lot of my like movie buff interest came from was that time that was like when i really got into film so anyway so uh we were watching this movie and his mother was upstairs like moving like cleaning moving stuff around and like right when like shit starts to get real like with the ouija board and all that she accidentally dropped a 40 pound weight and i jumped a mile in the air and started crying because i was so scared and so like that was all i could think of like rewatching the movie there's this one there's one part in there i think it's like it's sort of towards the beginning but also like when stuff like really starts to gear up and start happening um 
like the demon like makes a bunch of noise and they run outside the bedroom and like their chandeliers swinging back and forth and obviously it's like a found footage movie so there's not a lot of like particularly like artistic shots but i just remember like that particular like the chandelier swinging back and forth like haunting it was my dreams there's some nice imagery in there that's and just that's... yeah that's just something about that because it's so like wrong that should not be happening something happened to make it happen that i just used the word happen like a million times but anyway it was just a really great reminder of like they're not in control of the situation <laughs> everything is going to hell and they're going to die i, I think that I think the most valid uh, thing about that movie is how much restraint it has for itself, which like, you know, that was one of my first introductions to horror movies when I was, oh, let's say like a late teen, I guess, when it came out. It was probably like 17. And, um, you know, watching that, it was just like, oh, horror movies can like, they can build, you know, it's not all just pepper, like just raining down with violence and hellfire. Like, it, like there was, there's a real art to knowing, um, when to constrain yourself and like build a world like that so when you do have like a swinging chandelier it feels far more terrifying than if it had just begun with that you know well yeah and i think that's those are the kind of horror movies that work best for me because yeah same uh, like with blair witch project for which is obviously a similar movie um i feel that same way like that's when i first saw that movie that was legitimately probably the most scared I have ever been. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. because you don't see it. And I know a lot of people, like, decry that movie as just people arguing in the woods for 90 minutes. But it for is me, that. I mean, it is. Oh, it's, it's, oh. it's terrifying, though, because it's <laughs> the, the human condition. Like, everybody just devolves into this, like, mean, terrified person because there's this force outside of their control and there's nothing they can do to escape it. Like... For instance, in the Blair Witch Project, there's the scene where it looks like maybe they're going to get out of the woods after the first guy gets murdered, and they realize, like they are walking, and they somehow end up exactly back at the place where they started, and Heather just like sinks to the ground and starts crying. And to me, that is more terrifying than any jump scare that anybody can concoct, because it's... Again, it's this force outside of your control that you realize you cannot, like, you cannot win. There's nothing you can do. You're going to die. Like, whether it's in the house, in paranormal activity, or in the woods, in the Blair Witch Project, or even, like, it's a similar slow burn with It Follows, which, I mean, we've talked about on the podcast before. We love that movie. But, yeah. So, that was kind of a tangent, but... (laughs) No, I was going to go off that, too. So, paranormal activity, I think, is actually pretty decent at developing the two random people at the middle of it but in a way that many of the sequels and imitators don't bother to do really and one of the things that gets across is that there really kind of is no hope and that's an interesting thing about those two movies too so you go into horror movies and you know that everyone's gonna die for the most part that's like you know that's gonna happen but there still is enough hope in there in most of them like they're fighting somehow where there's you have that sense of hope while you're watching it like maybe it'll be okay probably not it's a movie i know what's going to happen but it might be okay with something like the paranormal activity i just realized oh this is just a long slog to things get worse and they get worse and they get worse and there's no hope and there's less hope and then the hope is gone and everyone's dead and wow that was a fun 90 minutes (laughs) well and again with the paranormal activity thing it's like they wanted to document it but ended up just making it worse 
And that was something that I didn't remember from the first time I'd watched it. Mika is an asshole. Oh, he sucks. He is so terrible throughout the whole movie. Like, he's so flippant about the whole thing. Even when Katie is being dragged out of bed and bitten by demons and shit, he's just like, I'm going to buy a Ouija board and talk to it. <laughs> like, come on, dude. Like, he just does clearly does not take it seriously and ends up, like, I would say it's pretty much his That's... fault that all of that happened because it clearly states that this thing has been following Katie around her whole life and she's done a pretty good job of, you know, avoiding it and staying alive. And then Mika comes in with his camera bullshit and gets her, well, depending on which ending you watch, gets her killed and or turned into some demon puppet. That's the interesting thing is that he totally buys into it, but it's still super flippant. It's the wrong way to buy into it, yeah. I think he's believably flippant. And I think, like, the the slowness of the movie, I, like, I, I understand it's very very slow with character development but i actually appreciate that because i think they're both like really banal people that i like like i i saw them as people like i wasn't yeah, just yeah. watching characters die it was like okay these are people that i would never want to hang out with they seem really boring but i believe them as people you know the like the they are very realistic in their depictions uh and so when stuff goes wrong in that movie i'm like okay wow this is like a yeah this is an urban little happy little home being attacked like i am buying into this my my disbelief has been suspended, you know, it's, yeah. And that's the best part about a movie like that, too, when you just, like, are 100%, like, drawn into it and believe it. <laughs> that's, again, a strength of, that the Blair Witch Project has, too. Are you guys going to go see The Visit? Have you seen The Visit? I, we haven't seen it. Um, I want to see it. I want to see it. I'm not sure if I want to spend $10 to see it. Yeah, no, I... I can understand that um, because I, I've heard that it's found footage premise is uh, one of the weakest in recent years. I know we had a string of long movies that have had ridiculous found footage premises. I think the one I watched recently was Apollo 18. God, that, I just alien space rocks. Yeah. I may or may not have been drinking during that movie. And even like, I, I will recognize that that does not enable me to coherently, you know, decipher a film. I just did not understand like why why is this being filmed so much? Why is this no, going it's straight on? Up a it was, bad movie. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so we've had a lot of those, and I'm just curious about how the visit will hold up with that. I don't know. I've, I've just, heard good I, things. I'm not shy. Amalan is one of those people. Like I know that he's probably just like not actually a good filmmaker, but for some <laughs> reason I always am like rooting for him to just like pull it off. If that makes sense, I just like I'm like ah oh, maybe this time he'll do it. Come like, on, Sham, this, like, you can do it. <laughs> you, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Tyler, what movie have you watched recently before well, we get more into tangent hell? <laughs> well, we also watched the original Japanese Grudge movie. Yes. Mm. Which we need to watch again because we were watching with someone who likes to riff tracks movie movies. To be fair, and... we were all like drinking while we were watching it, so it wasn't like it was annoying. Yeah, no, it was fine. But the thing I realized about the Japanese Grudge is whereas the the... Uh, American version focuses pretty much entirely on Sarah Michelle Gellar's character. That character is just one of a number of prominent characters in the Japanese version, and it works much more as kind of a a series of vignettes about this house and its demons haunting a number of different people, and it hops through time and characters oh weave in and out of each other's storylines. Yeah. 
just to clear, when we were done with this movie, Tyler had to read the synopsis aloud because I was so confused about like the <laughs> timeline. But I really want to watch it again because it seemed it seemed much more artistic than I thought it was going to be. Although it did still have the creepy arms askew walking ghost and uh, the demon baby. There were okay, there are two two scenes in particular that really fucked me up. <laughs> um the scene there's a part where I can't remember which character it is, but she's like laying down in bed and like you just see like the blanket puff up yeah. and then she looks under the blanket and like the grudge ghost is in the blanket with her. And I just was like, I'm going to have nightmares about this for the rest of my life. Sleep without like, blankets forever. Yeah. And that, which sucks because blankets are like, it's like the safe space. It's supposed to be safe from the monsters once you're under the blanket. Like, this is just not fair. That is defying all human comfort logic and just messing with it. But yeah. And then at the end, there's this horrifically long shot of the female ghost, like, crawling backwards with like these like bent limbs i'm trying to do the motion right now which you can't see because we're in audio so the babadook took some influences clearly oh my god it was like and it was just like an uncomfortably long sequence which is a a good thing about japanese horror i guess is that they don't really like american would like cut back away from that really fast but it just lingered on this like horrible scuttling bloody dragging of body down the stairs like yikes man (laughs) there's a lot of imagery in there that i don't know if it's original to that movie but it it kind of blew up after this or became much more co-opted and popular some of the creepy hair in the face pallid complexion uh arms askew thing that might be older that that's almost definitely older than that movie but with the burst of j-horror with the ring and the grudge and their remakes and all that that was a that imagery seemed much more familiar this time around than like when i watched the ring the first time the original ring though the american version i guess i should say the remake the american remake of the ring was the first horror movie i ever saw in my entire life we watched that. We watched that young. last week, actually. Yeah, I, it, hadn't I think it. it holds up. I saw. I watched does, it recently. Yeah. yeah. I, I was surprised how much that, but that and Paranormal Activity being like the two thousands horror movies we've rewatched, they both hold held up a lot better than I expected, especially The Ring. Yeah, I always have a sense that like two thousands horror was really bad. I don't know what makes me think i don't know it's because you started getting horror remakes there wasn't like the yeah. texas chainsaw massacre like remake the texas chainsaw there was that jessica alba version of yeah the Eye, um, there's just a lot of bad one ones missed call there was a b- lot of bad bad movies. yeah so i always like in my mind i always think like oh yeah the ring was a part of that and then i remember like no like that was like a, a very interesting film even if it got too into the lore at the end it's um also beautifully shot yeah like, it's yeah it's gorgeous yeah. Also, I'm in love with Naomi Watts. I mean, and have been for a be? long time. So, <laughs> and I watched two other movies. These two without Kayla. So, Kayla, step aside and just take a time out. I watched the most interesting one was I saw "Listen to Me, Marlon," and that that is the Marlon Brando uh, kind of documentary that compiles audio. Comp- audio recordings he made while he was alive late in his life for the purpose of making this kind of thing 
and it also includes uh, news reports interviews he gave while he was alive it is all audio and video from when he was alive there is nothing new added to it and it's pieced together to give his life documentary i did not know as much as probably everyone else who has a movie podcast about marlon brando so i did have kind of a first level uh, fascination with a lot of it i didn't know all of the stuff about his kids and just quite how tragic his life was but he's a really fascinating person the thing about it is i can't really rate it as a documentary because the whole premise of the thing is so shot through with his opinion and his point of view like almost everything is his point of view except for the occasional news report and court recording and things like that and so it doesn't totally function as a documentary because it isn't at all an unbiased picture of anything really it's almost like an autobiography pieced together from all of his little chapters that he wrote or recorded himself throughout his life and it's really fascinating um it's got a framing device a very light framing device that pops up and the beginning the end and the middle where he did the thing it's it was in the movie the congress but how we're getting to the point now where we can scan actors faces like all of their emotions and them all of their motions and these things and use that to almost create a performance without the actor being involved at all in the actual reading of those lines or in those movements and so there is a kind of very basic computerized replica of his face it's very bare bones there's no skin or anything it's just like blue lines that show the contours of marlon brando's face and he's it, it lines up with the words he's saying and he's talking about doing these things and how uh, talking about the future of movies and all that and how they're going to be like not when he's he doesn't say when he's gone but basically when he's gone and that was almost as the making of this movie and things like that were almost as fascinating as how unbelievably sexy marlon brando was as a young man and how he was one of the original method actors and all the things that are actually fascinating about the life and work of marlon brando yeah i actually really wanted to do streetcar named desire but it is consistently being like put in the bottom two, the bottom of the 250 and knocked back out so like i need to get it up there a little bit higher because his character in that movie is really interesting i think and it would be really fun to analyze from the, you know, the socially aware perspective that we usually try to bring. And he mentioned in the documentary how he hates that character, even though he performed it so many times. Mm-hmm. But, Kyle, had you heard of this movie? No, I don't have a lot of experience with Marlon Brando. Okay. Yeah, it's... It got... It just got a little bit of talk because it is kind of this... It's this documentary with the weird twist on how it's made and everything. It was pretty cool. I would recommend checking it out, I guess, but also being very aware that it is not so much a documentary as it is a nonfiction-based experiment. 
<laughs> I mean, it depends on what you think of like a documentary, right? Like the the Sherman's March movie I mentioned earlier is a documentary, yeah. even though it's not documenting what he set out to do. It still documents his life in a certain way. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it's not in the. It is not in the vein of. I don't know. I have Aaron Morris's thin blue line stuck in my head. It's not trying to reveal a truth or uncover anything or teach you something new necessarily. It's, it's literally just a document of Marlon yeah. Brando, which I guess maybe makes it like a documentary in the most truest form. Yeah. <laughs> wow, getting deep. Get real. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not on this documentary about Marlon Brando. <laughs> and the other movie I watched is also an incredible piece of nonfiction, Time Lapse. It's uh, this little movie on Netflix about a camera that takes pictures of the future. It looks silly, but it's actually pretty cool. I listened to an interview with the filmmaker, I believe, on the Slash Filmcast. And it's actually a pretty cool, smart little movie. It is like a TV show blown up. Caleb made the it's, joke. No, it's literally an episode of The Twilight Zone. Like, the, it literally is. <laughs> that said, the acting is better than I expected from these three relative unknowns. And it's... Hey, Panna sp- Baker was a Disney girl. I did not know that. Yeah. But it... It's also smarter than I expected, both in the things they do, but also in the way the characters react to most things. They do a couple dumb things, the dumb horror movie, kind of like, why would you Why would you do that? But for the most part, everything they do, every decision they make, you can rationalize, which I guess is kind of sad that it has to be a qualifier. <laughs> but for like a random sci-fi movie on Netflix, I was impressed. It also looks pretty good, too. The commercial was on the screener at work for a while, so that was why I knew about it, and I looked it up on IMDb because I was bored at work. I pick out random horror and sci-fi movies to watch on Netflix all the time, and by that, by that, uh, by that metric, it's it's all right. It's You're better good. than me. Whenever I scroll through Netflix, I always just end up watching Parks and Rec some more. You know what? That's probably a better decision than me watching The Den or things like that. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what we've been watching. Oh, I I have a question real quick before we transition to train spotting. Netflix announced that they had Black Mirror season three. I don't know if um, Tyler, have you ever watched Black Mirror? I love Black Mirror. Okay, I'm only two episodes in. I just didn't know if you wanted to have a quick thing about that because I saw that was announced. I was excited because I've loved the two episodes quite a bit. I'm waiting waiting for an opportunity to dive in. That includes the episode that has been in the news recently <laughs> yeah. because of a certain British politician, yes? Yeah, Mr. Cameron and his pig. I haven't seen this show, so... That episode is one of the most incredible things I have ever seen. Uh, it's... But it... Like, the funny thing... Okay, so I've only seen two episodes, so I guess I can't really say, but, like, the second episode kind of blows it out of the water. Like, the first is, you know, controversial and dark and you know really brooding about what can happen in 21st century technology but then the second is like such a like a great meditation on fame what's the second one again it's the uh they're all trapped in this like capitalist nightmare <laughs> just like us um yeah where they are they live in these tiny little cubes where there are screens on every wall Oh, yes. And every day at work, their work is like, I don't know if they're generating electricity, but they like these ride, they ride these bicycles and it generates revenue that they then spend on these worthless things. And that is, you know, that. So the first episode is it has so much of the shock value of I can't believe it went there and made it seem real. Right. 
there is a tremendous thoughtfulness to much of the rest of the series. Yeah, I, I'm so excited to see it. I'm so I was, and is it like an anthology thing? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Each episode's different. There were two series, and there were each three episode series, which actually that fits in with the kind of our Halloween theme, and we should watch those. Oh, is there only three episodes? Three. There are three episodes in the first series, three in the second series. Okay. Wow. Okay. And then, so. But this Netflix season, this third Netflix season, is going to be twelve episodes. Whoa. And so everybody lost their collective minds. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm glad I brought that up. Then I was not aware that it was only three episodes. I thought I was had to get through like twelve episodes, forty five minutes long each. <laughs> no, I remember I did not watch this as the phenomenon was originally taken off. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, all the podcasts and all the websites were just like. There's this Black Mirror thing. It hasn't it been that long, though, unbelievable. right? Unbelievable. No, but in internet time, you know. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's, so. It's been, a, it's been a couple of years, though. But it is... Yeah, it, it is an incredible series, and I'm really glad they're getting more. I do really hope it wasn't just they threw a bunch of money at him and told him to make more, but more he has ideas for all these episodes. But for as smart as those six episodes were, I'm pretty confident that at least most of these 12 episodes are going to be I feel worthwhile like, and similarly Yeah, I feel like thoughtful. for the most part, you wouldn't like want to only do three episodes per season yeah. unless you were like, I mean, because like, that to me says like limited budget, limited resources. It, they look so. really good, though. Yeah, no, oh I, my no, God. I'm, not just mean, I'm just saying like, it's probably just... That's probably why there's only three because it's probably massively expensive to produce. And... Yeah, I think it was done by Channel Four over the BBC, so I don't know if Netflix is getting financially involved with the series or not. I assume that it is, so you know. Oh, I, I'm very sure. sure that it is. Hey, Netflix, if you're listening to this and you want to pick up a really cool show that looks really good, um, you could not pass on Hannibal and ruin uh, everybody's lives. Yeah, like, just throwing that out there. No, I, I think like the natural conclusion is that we have a new Silence of the Lambs, but with new characters, right? Like, right? Yeah, sure. That's uh, there's still talking that they might do movies. With God, I hope so. Something. I, I still haven't seen something. the rest. I forgot that you got into Hannibal too. It's so good. Yeah. So, but I Ellie. So my partner left before we get to finish the series, and I didn't want to watch it without her. So uh, I am like like four episodes from this the season three ending so we're actually really behind on season three too because we got really busy and then they took it off of on demand so oh yeah yep I that'll do that it pain. and we could find other ways to watch it but we do i, I want you're not a dirty criminal i want yeah. to give them money god yeah. also you're not i want a to dirty have heroin it. injecting criminal <laughs> yeah i want to have it in nice high definition too that that is true and we're waiting we're not a criminal yet I mean, it'll be out on DVD soon. But you know who is a criminal? Who is a criminal? Mark Renton and Trainspotting. (laughs) Yeah, so perhaps we should maybe get on track to the actual point of the podcast. (laughs) Since we have, once again... It's a flawless segue. I don't know what you're talking about. Kyle can just take over. (laughs) Why am I even here? I'm taking my headphones. You're beautiful, Tyler. Keep going. It's wonderful, yeah. All right. Take the train. The, yeah, for take, the podcast audience take, i am tremendously gorgeous <laughs> take the train go take the train make it happen let's take the train <laughs> take the train right to the trailer for train spotting choose life choose a job choose a career choose a family choose a big television 
Washing machines, cars, compact displays, and dental insurance. You lied on your application. Only to get my foot in the door. What exactly attracts you to the leisure industry? And what? Pleasure. Like, my pleasure and other people's leisure. He's always been lacking in moral fiber. He knows a lot about Sean Connery. That's hardly a substitute. Do you see the beast? Have you got it in your sights? Clear enough, Mitch Money Penny. <laughs> All right, so Train Spotting is the Danny Boyle film from 1996. It is based on a novel by I did not check the pronunciation. Irvine pronunci- Welsh. Irvine Welsh. Irvine Welsh is based on the novel by Irvine Welsh of the same name. It stars uh, the Obi Wan Kenobi of our time, Ewan McGregor. Is that how we choose to? Yes. You no. Know, no. I feel like you need to define something else to define Ewan McGregor oh, as. Nope. Nope. He is Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, but before he was Obi-Wan Kenobi, he was in Train Spotting. This is a Danny Boyle, an early Danny Boyle film. He'd only done one major film before this, also starring Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we're just sticking with that. Yeah, you got to stop doing that. It was uh, was made on a very small budget. I. Reports on a conflict a bit, but it was at the very most three and a half million British pounds. But I also saw reports of one and a half, two and a half. It was super cheap, and you could tell in the movie, but they used that to really enhance the aesthetic. It was nom- nominated for an Adaptive Screenplay Academy Award for uh, John Hodges. It was a cultural phenomenon of the time. Uh, they emulated the marketing campaign for Pulp Fiction from a couple years earlier, which makes a lot of sense. The movie plays kind of like a Scottish Pulp Fiction. It was a cultural phenomenon of the time, and it also ended up being a big box office success. It made 18 million, probably pounds, maybe dollars, I forgot to verify that, in England. And then it also made $16 million in America between that and its Oscar nomination, it ended up being a big success. It launched Danny Boyle to doing, well, The Beach wasn't quite successful, but he then did 28 Days Later, Sunshine, and now he's doing the Steve Jobs movie that's coming out soon. Which one? Which one? <laughs> that is a question. Uh. Not the good one. <laughs> Wait, is it the one with Michael Fassbender? Yeah, but the good one. Mr. Hanson. Kutcher. Okay. Even though it's... I am in love with Michael Fassbender. But Danny Boyle and Trainspotting is a movie that I had seen before, but I had forgotten just how dirty the movie is. Yeah, it's gross. It's grody. <laughs> it is very grody. And some of the things they do, especially considering they had to do it in one take a lot of the time, is kind of incredible. Kyle, had you seen Trainspotting before this? Uh, yeah, I saw it. God, I, I get a year or two ago. It hasn't been that long. Um, but the one thing I do remember seeing it was, yeah, it's filthy. It's filthy in a way that like adds to the movie's uh, character, obviously. Because you know, one of the opening, not one of the opening scenes, but one of the beginning scenes is the, the worst looking toilet I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> but it then became so beautiful. 
when he dove into the ocean that was inside that dirty, dirty oh toilet. Oh, my God. So, fun story. I uh, ate directly before watching that <sighs> and then, like, literally finished my food, set my plate down, and then that scene started happening. And, oh, my God. I am a super sympathy nausea person. So, when Ewan McGregor's, like, digging around in the toilet mm-hmm. and, like, retching... I was just having a very hard time <laughs> with my life in that moment. It was a rough time. Was it more or less rough than the baby or Tommy's downfall? Well, or okay, so the thing with anything else that happened. The thing with the stuff that happens in the movie is that most of it has a veneer of comedy to it. So the toilet thing, while disgusting, is still funny. Mm-hmm. Whereas those things are not funny. It's also different all. between like moral repulsion and like physical. I cannot believe you're having to do that with your body revulsion. Yeah, that is that had to be a lot of fun for you, McGregor, to shoot. I gotta say, a <laughs> lot of these scenes had to be so much. Actually, you know who is having fun is Robert Carlyle as Begbie. That dude is having a blast in this movie. <laughs> I, I, the interesting thing is. So, one of my favorite connections of the movie is that they considered Christopher Eccleston, who went on to be in another Danny Boyle movie, uh, the first 28 Days Later, but they cast Robert Carlyle, who went on to be in the sequel, 28 Weeks Later, which is a random bit of trivia to have very early in our discussion, but it's an important one to my heart. <laughs> That's all that matters. I feel like the star of the film is like Ewan McGregor's belly shirts. It's like... Oh my gosh. Yeah. In like his my notes... <laughs> My note, actually, Ewan in a crop top. Yeah. Smiley face. Is the Scottish crop yeah. top a thing? Who, who are you asking? You've been, you've been I've closer not been to, to Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> you've been closer to Scotland than we have. I've seen the coast the of Scotland. I'm sorry, I didn't go around asking, like, hey, do you guys, like, expose your midriffs? I don't know. <laughs> the next time you visit, can you do that, like, for research purposes? Yeah, no, definitely. I'll just take the ferry over and, like, hey, guys, I have some questions about heroin. <laughs> Kayla would like, also a little notebook with you. Yeah. Kayla wants you to document thoroughly. Yeah, take pictures. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah I got that. Unless they're like not cute, then don't. Just subscribe my Tumblr, Scotland midriffs. <laughs> yes. But one thing, so I had seen this movie, but like I said, I had forgotten quite how dirty it was, and it is very dirty, and um, ah, it's very dirty. It is very dirty. And one of the things I was thinking throughout is why is this movie the like universally lauded thing when it's so dirty and uh, exploitative? And there are other movies that do the same things, but we don't think they work. And, I mean, part of it is just because Danny Boyle is really, really good at what he does. How do you mean exploitative? Well, not exploitative. That's not the proper word. Um but the way it's dirty and subversive and in can seem at first to be celebratory of all these things. And it can be outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. It's really absurd. It's funny because I, I read in the trivia that there was a, a congressman that was Bob all. Dole. Yeah. It was all on the this is glorifying drug use train and then admitted that he had actually never seen the movie, which I feel like. <laughs> So I feel like the mid-90s had a lot of those movies that created this, like, super outrage. Like, uh, the Harmony Korine, uh, that kids, 
was mm-hmm. another one that had kind of that mm-hmm. super outrage because they were like, oh, you're glorifying children having sex and getting AIDS, and it's not the case at all. It's actually pretty heartbreaking. Like, like, 90s and early 2000s are just filled with like, oh, this rap music is ruining people's lives, and video games are we're gonna kill everyone like it was just all of that you know it was it's so yeah and it's so strange to me because it's not like technology or film or stuff like that was new like when you get into movies in like the 50s and 60s where they're saying that oh this will be the downfall of society or whatever like they didn't know better because it was all like brand new and so i feel like by the time we got to the 90s and 2000s it should have been better and people should have realized that um media isn't as influential as you think you say that as if the same thing is doesn't currently no, I mean, still happen. i know it's i know it's still happening like but it's so strange to me i've never understood i think it's valid here because of all the brit pop brit pop <laughs> is very harmful <laughs> okay so so with train spottings like uh you know glorification of drug use i feel like train spotting is a successful uh, survey of like the effect of heroin because it does not shy away from um the benefits of heroin uh you know like you know if, if you have your parent try to give you the talk about drugs or sex or whatever and they're always like you know this is a terrible thing you should never experience like well of course you're gonna go fucking do that you know it's yeah. it's not that's not an effective tactic you have to be honest with someone i think danny boyle or at least Mr. Welsh has been really honest with the way that he's portrayed heroin as like, look, it gives you this incredible high. It's better than any sex you'll have in the world. And, but it will ruin your life, you know? And it like, and they don't tell you that they show it to you, which is really important. And by giving you the good parts along the way, it also makes the bad parts. It, it, it gives them more truth. Like we're saying. And I was kind of surprised by how much this movie just because of the uh, aura around it and all that, it ended up being a very effective PSA against drugs. Oh, yeah. Even while it had its ending where the guy gets to be a bad guy and trying to be a good guy. Like, to become, to get him, to cut himself loose and to be the good person that he imagines us all to be, which I, I like thinking of how the speech contradicts, with, or like how it lines up with like the Fight Club thing. Yeah. The different speeches, but oh, he yeah. has to oh, do God. like this terrible thing and screw over his old friends who are dragging him down to get out of it. Like the, the trajectory from Fight Club to Train Spotting is pretty like it seems pretty clear to me. Like, tr- like Fight Club is the movie that maybe you see as a kid and you like think it's like super edgy. Like, oh yeah. Screw the capitalists. And then like <laughs> you see a movie like this and you go, oh, okay. Like this is like a much more educated take on like what's wrong with the world or you know yeah. life struggles is so pseudo intellectual mm-hmm. like special white boy yeah <laughs> like, and i say this as someone i really liked the movie fight club when i saw it in high school oh yeah and i think that's what happens and i think that is what sets apart a movie like train spotting is that it it ages with its audience in a way because like as as i get older and as i grow as a person i know that I used to be this person who really rebelled against the idea of like settling down and like having a house or having like pets and a real like an office job like I have an office job now and I think 15 year old me would be horrified at that but I like my office job it's easy I get paid money for it I can do things 
But so the you can with, buy heroin I could buy without heroin. stealing. <laughs> no, but so all the, the toilets with, are yours. So to the explore. thing with train spotting is that it's this it's this really effective PSA and this really effective like study of people who do these things. But it also in the end has this really good like optimistic ending in a way. Whereas Fight Club is super nihilistic. Fight Club is super. This is the society we live in. It never changes. It never gets better. We can only spend our whole lives fighting against it and being the most, like, subversive that we can be. And I don't think that that's a good way to go through life, you know? Fight Club is stylized in a way that's, like, surreal, whereas this movie is stylized in a way that's, like, hyper-realistic. Oh, I disagree. I think this movie is really surreal. This guy dives into a toilet. I don't know. Like, well, yeah. No, that's definitely it's surreal in that, but a lot of that stuff is understood to just be as a an effect of the drugs. But I think like, it the isn't surrealness, presented as reality. I think the surrealness like reveals truth about our real life, you know? Like that's the benefit of movies. That's why we like that's why we watch movies, is that it, it they can be surreal but also reveal these incredible truths, you know? And I feel like train spotting does that excellently. Uh, and you know, I, I do want to get into the morals of, of uh, um, what morals? Ian McGregor's character, because he is the worst person. They're yeah. all bad people. But he is—he gave—he is directly responsible for his friend getting HIV. And I was just watching that movie, and it was dawning on me because I hadn't gotten that the first time I watched it. And I was—I just my mouth was agape. I was like, "Wow, he is directly responsible for the death of like one of his best friends." He gives him the money. Yeah, it's. And Just... I guess in a way it's it's hard because obviously none of them are good people, but you want to root for yeah. Renton the whole time because you want to believe that he can be a good person once he's off of these drugs. But even when he's off the drugs, like we said, he gives Tommy the money to buy more heroin. And I don't know if he does that because he understands the place that he's in or if he just does it because he's like, fuck it, whatever, you're clearly already going down this road, might as well do it without having to steal or what but yeah most of his motivations are horrifically selfish and even when he's like trying to get clean and be a better person it doesn't actually make him a better person it just makes him a person who no longer does heroin right (laughs) yeah absolutely damn that's dark and that's without even getting into some of the other terrible things he does and that's I mean, one of the things about being a protagonist or the main character in a movie is like it makes us sympathize with him a little more, as, and or like the the way movies are structured and the way we view them makes us sympathize with the main characters more. But this movie is very uh, forthright about him being a terrible person. I mean, the movie ends with him telling you. He's a terrible person. Well, yeah, and I mean, we see examples of that throughout the whole film. He steals money from his parents. He steals the sex tape from his friends that eventually leads to this horrible downward spiral, and he never owns up to it. I, that That's, the, like, that... For some reason, that is the part of the movie that stuck with me the most, that someone's entire life was ruined over a stolen sex tape. It's a little... Yeah, it's a little ridiculous, but, I mean, I guess I know people who would probably be devastated if that happened i mean i would be devastated if i thought a bunch of random people had a video like that of me and it has a sensible progression like she breaks up with tommy over that which Mm -hmm. makes sense and then tommy's depressed and his best friends are all heroin addicts so that room makes sense and 
that's the thing. Tommy is super present in the beginning of the movie and kind of disappears for a while, and then he's addicted to drugs, and then he's dead. And it's, I don't know, it's, 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 really it's very sobering. tragic. but it's, it's really realistic, because yeah. if you knew somebody that just got addicted to heroin, like I've, that's pretty much what would happen, is they would be around, they would disappear, they would die. <laughs> like, yeah. But the lesson Ewan McGregor takes from it, or um, his character, is that he has to get out but not that he has to help any of his friends who are in that world, just that he himself has to get out. To be fair, his friends are all also really terrible people, so I can't really fault, uh, like, aside from Tommy and yeah, Spud, maybe, I can't really fault him for not giving a shit about them getting out. That's, yeah, he also kind of says that, too. I mean, there's lots of shit given in this movie, trust me. It's, it's <laughs> literally awful, awful, awful. awful. <laughs> Literal Liter- shit. Yeah, no, that's, we're Spud. Yeah, I think, I don't know. Another another issue that I have with Renton and his thing is the whole subplot with Kelly McDonald's character because that bothered you? Yes, it really did. It really did bother me because No, it should. I mean, well, yes, for obvious reasons, it's bad that he sleeps with a 14-year-old girl and then continues to see her. But like it also drives me nuts because aside from that like blatant moral issue, she's also spends the rest of the movie being presented as kind of like a sort not necessarily a manic pixie dream girl but like this like force that's there to change his life and make him into a better person like she's the one that suggests he move to london she's the one that he sees when he's trying like in his hallucinations when he's trying to get off of heroin she just kind of exists to be this like little nymphette that spurs the change in his life because she doesn't really have a very prevalent part in the movie she writes him a letter once he moves and gets clean and that's it that's the last we ever hear of her is her being like oh by the way i made your life better and also your friends still suck like yeah that's how every character in the movie functions really and that's something i didn't realize i didn't realize how much the movie was from the point of view of renton until the end when i realized oh that it functions like real life like tommy just disappears for the second half of the movie kelly mcdonald just disappears for parts of the movies and the characters are there when they would actually be there. They don't feel the need to bring them in throughout the movie just because they're this per- certain person. Yeah. Everyone serves their purpose to him and then just goes away until he and until they insert them themselves in their life, yeah. his life or that it that's something that surprised me is that it was a uh, usually movies will be a little more uh Share no movies will, like they'll mm-hmm. like construct themselves a little more to include people more just because they need to have those actors there more whereas here it does more of a that real life thing where it people come and they go and sometimes you have people in your life and other times you don't and that's just kind of how it works yeah there's a bit in london where um those two i can't remember that i can never remember any of the characters names other than you mcgregor Becky uh, and Big B, Big yeah, Dave. yeah. <clears throat> they just show up in his apartment and just stay out there uh, because Big B ha- is on the on the run from the cops um, after was it like a jewelry, robbery, yeah, yeah, jewelry heist, yeah. And they, they're just staying there, and he just lets them stay there. It's like any normal individual would make them leave, uh, but I guess he's afraid of them. Uh, I don't it, think it's fear so much as it is like a weird ingrained sense of loyalty. Yeah, yeah but it, it, that moment to me felt very surreal that like this, these two people just appear and are just here in his life uh, out of, you know, out of nothing. Uh, moments like that. It is like the 
the reoccurring disappearance and reappearance of characters um that feels very bizarre uh, and to me i guess like makes it feel sort of surreal because you're just traveling through mark renton's life as he gets in and out of heroin um and tries to cope with the real world and clearly can't and then all these people just pop up along the way and i mean i guess that kind of goes along with like the whole heroin addiction fugue state that i assume you would be in if you were addicted to heroin like it could very well be an artistic choice in that like if you're addicted to heroin and doing drugs and coming in and out of this stupor all the time, it would seem that people are just appearing and disappearing from your life. And that ties in with, like, the Mother Superior and the woman with the baby who just isn't really, like, a named character but is around. Yeah. And... She just disappears, too. Well, I'm I'm assuming she dies. Yeah. Because, yeah, I just remember... Because I honestly, by the time it came to the, the... Thing with the baby where the baby is dead i had completely forgotten about the baby which i guess again is an no, effective I... tool in the movie is that that's clearly also what happens there is they completely forget about the baby no i remember the baby because um i the, when i first watched it i was just like that is clearly Chekhov's baby something bad is going to happen with the, that baby that is the only reason you'd have a baby in this drug den, just like showing it crawling around every now and then. Like, oh, a baby crawling around in a drug den. What could go wrong? <laughs> My, it's like Chekhov's gun. They're going to pull it out at some point and something bad is going to happen. Yeah, I just remember when they were going through that whole scene where they discover, where she's screaming and they discover the baby dead. I just was like clutching at my pillow like please do not pan over the baby i do not want to see the baby i don't i don't and of course that's what happens they show you the dead baby and it's horrifying (laughs) for a dark comedy which this basically is or a black comedy there are some legitimate not just horrifying it's like this would fit in with a horror movie like that was so upsetting and his uh when he was in his parents' house in his childhood bedroom coming down, that was, even as I could tell, it was an animatronic baby moving its arms and legs horizontally in one way. Really terrifying and upsetting. Oh, that was definitely a real baby. That was They got that on set. It's strapped incredible to the ceiling. how that baby can craft. It was a really walls. well-trained baby. Yeah. That baby went on <laughs> to be in, baby. That baby yeah. went on to be in the Omen, actually. Yeah, that was actually Tobey Maguire. Later on in life, he would just become Spider-Man. It's amazing. He just looks so, so weird as a yeah, baby. Yeah, he was a baby in 1996. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, he grew quickly. It was weird. Weird spider genes. Toby was actually grown in a lab. <laughs> it turns out it was good work God. if you're an ugly baby who can crawl in walls. <laughs> it's on his resume. Uh, yeah. That's the title okay. of his resume, Ugly Baby. <laughs> so, okay, let's let's go. Like, I, I don't mean to steal your host. I just really want to talk about Requiem for a Dream. Yes. Uh, in relation to this movie, because I don't know what... You, uh, your guys' connections to that movie is, but it, for me, it definitely fit into my need to watch uh, self-severe se- media and take myself way too seriously when I was younger. Um, <laughs> and like, Requiem for a Dream was perfect for that, right? Even though I, I... And I look back at it now, and I think it can be mocked really easily. I don't think it's as successful as a film as it, as this is because Trainspotting provides that levity that um, does ground the heroin experience and some sort of realism rather than just going like, yeah, we're on drugs with Jared Leto. Like that doesn't <laughs> like, that's not a successful premise. And it, it, for me looking back on it, like there are things I like about that film still is Aronofsky is such like a 
kind of interesting uh, filmmaker in that way. But man, like I, I just prefer this movie so much more as yeah. a as a observation of heroin. I just okay, so yeah, that to relate when I watched Requiem for a Dream was when I was going through my teenage like. I am a film buff now, and I will watch this very <laughs> obscure and artistic Darren Aronofsky character's films now. <laughs> like, that kind of thing. And I honestly, I have not seen Requiem for a Dream since the first time that I watched it, because I was, I came out of that movie so miserably, horrifically depressed <laughs> that I never wanted to watch it again, which I probably should at some point, because again, like you're saying, I feel like after all these years and having more actual experience with film it probably doesn't hold up as well it's man it has a lot to do with the soundtrack i hate to say it like but culturally people have taken clint mansell's uh overly dramatic soundtrack and attributed it to like i don't know pugs jumping into a lake uh like enough times that (laughs) that soundtrack is just dead to me like i could just watch it muted and it might have more of an effect for me yeah Um, it is still a horrifying film but it tries so hard to be horrifying. Well, yeah, like that's like you come out of train spotting being like heroin is bad, but if you get hooked on drugs, you there is still hope. Whereas Requiem for a Dream is like the most plotting, pessimistic, horrific like you're going to have your arm cut off and you will be the front man for 30 seconds to Mars in a few years. It's the worst <laughs> you'll to, nightmare. You'll be Jennifer Connelly asked to ask with a girl for a hit. And yeah, like, oh my god. That I mean, scene, that's a horrible that's, scene. Like I yeah. legitimately like had tears like running down my face by the time we get to that point in the movie when I saw it originally. But like sometimes there's something like that kind of heavy handedness. It's effective, but it's not lasting. Yeah. That makes sense. It makes, it makes you like be repulsed from it in a way. Like I, again, I, I almost never want to revisit that movie because of that. Whereas Trainspotting, like I would probably watch that again. Yeah. Tyler, what's your experience? I, I don't have experience with Requiem for a Dream except for Kayla's experience. Okay. But it sounds, I don't know, I want to say it sounds like it goes more for uh, shock value, but like an artistic kind of shock value. It's like grit the, and darkness, yeah. But whereas Train Spotting's shock value is most often in the name of levity, like the poop sheets. <laughs> but oh, the poop sheets. I don't know if that. Maybe that just the the fact that the shock value is mostly for levity and train spotting. Maybe that gives some more grounding to the moments that are legitimately shocking and depressing in that movie. I think so, and I think again, train spotting is just a more realistic depiction because, like, obviously, it's not good to be a heroin addict, but you don't just become this like lifeless, mindless zombie who you have fun sometimes who's like yeah like your life i mean your life is miserable and terrible but there is there is a way that (laughs) these people are enjoying that life and ewan mcgregor touches on that in the opening monologue is that like yeah it's a shit way to live but it's the way that i chose and Kayla has experience as a heroin addict. Whereas yeah. I, <laughs> I do not have experience. Future as a employers, please take note. <laughs> I only have experience being miserable and terrible, but we both bring some real ex- expertise to this. <laughs> so, uh, I th- disclaimer: I have never done heroin. <laughs> so, I, I think an important point to note that, like you said earlier, is that Trainspotting is trying to be a black comedy, right? It's trying to be comedic. Uh, Requiem for a Dream never wants to be taken for funnies. You know, never never wants to make you laugh. It's not about the fun times. It's about a drama. It is a drama. So I guess there is a lot of, like, it is purposefully 
darker in a way it does not want you to laugh at any of that um does, i know we're just discussing like how successful of a tactile that it is versus train spotting but there definitely is like a completely different intent yeah i think Darinovsky, i don't think knows how to laugh yeah whereas danny boyle has fun sometimes yeah least. i think with darren Aronofsky is it was very much his intent to create this dark miasma of just horror not so much even as a psa but more to see just how far down the rabbit hole he could go whereas daniel boyle is really i feel trying to bring a human side to these people and their lives i also did, feel like did sorry, Aaron, Aaron Afsky write the screenplay for requiem for a dream it's based off of a book i don't know if you were the screen oh okay it was also adapted yeah yeah i was wondering if that what it's adapted from affects it but if he had written the script too i think that might have I might have been able to make a parallel there, but he didn't, so... I also think there's a big cultural divide in terms of, like, A, this is the UK doing drugs versus an American filmmaker doing drugs, and American films can be really self-severe, especially in, uh, like, the mid-2000s, which I think is when... Well, yeah, especially because we have the whole war on drugs thing going on, and, yeah, so that definitely plays into it, too. It reminds me almost... the deep hopeless plotting of requiem for a dream reminds me of a charlie kaufman film that stars philip seymour hoffman called synecdoche new york mm-hmm. have you seen that no i've heard of it i it's on it's on my mental list jesus christ okay well be careful when you watch that movie <laughs> i okay. uh watched that movie with trent in a cabin in the woods in the dead of winter that's three references and <laughs> literally finished that movie and we almost made a suicide pact because that movie is literally like there is no point to you being alive and it it does a really effective job of pounding that home and it is straight up horrifying and that's the closest feel like requiem for a dream is the closest other movie that has ever had that effect on me well great now i'll just go watch that so um don't, i'll email yeah, you my I'm pact like like watch it in like a sunny room like maybe with a like a loved one <laughs> you know, oh my dog oh my basset hound yeah on, scoot. <laughs> we should bring him on the podcast <laughs> he's been on our pod I mean, he's definitely barked a few times and nothing sounds better <laughs> yeah i didn't actually mention it but kyle and i are on the nothing sounds better podcast together and uh the basset hound has made an appearance He's the guest, special I'm so, guest. I'm so jealous right now. My because cats... you heard a dog bark a few times. Yeah. Or we heard a dog bark. Yeah. My cats are sleeping right now. It's adorable. Oh my god. But yeah, so anyway, I guess back to the point. <laughs> yeah, so if you have to pick your heroin film, either do the one that you'll want to kill yourself afterward or watch Train Spotting. Yeah. I guess it's like <laughs> which That's really will just, what it comes down to. <laughs> which will just leave you feeling I don't know. You'll be you'll feel a little dirty, but you'll also be like that was kind of fun. But I feel ener- I feel fun. energized after watching it. I was, it is a very. It, I mean, that was one of the things Danny Boyle said going into the movie. He's he wanted to make the most energetic film you've ever seen about something that ends up in purgatory or worse. Is that a direct quote? That is a direct quote. So earlier, I touched on the thing with Kelly McDonald and how it's a part of Renton being of a bad person that he sleeps with this 14 year old girl however there's this whole other aspect of that in that she's a 14 year old girl she has sex with him and that's something that i feel very strongly about 
he did does he know her age though before he does that he doesn't but then he continues to see her afterwards right yeah they do have sex again while he fully knows that she's only 14 right so my issue is again that she's kind of this nymphette foil that comes into his life to improve it but then even if you want to say that she could have her own agency in these choices it's taken away by the editors because in the American release of the movie, they actually trim down the sex scene because she appears to be enjoying herself. That's a shame because that that's a great scene where like there it's building up from that night. Like it's continued from the nightclub and then it ends on her orgasm. It's a, it's a really like expertly edited. Uh, yeah. And this is film. a problem that I have with lots of movies is that we can show so many horrific things like for instance we see dead crack baby we see um ewan mcgregor overdose and his arm being like all bloodied up and we see them literally injecting heroin and all of these other horrible things but then the minute it's a a female like enjoying sex like oh no that's taboo like we can't have that and we've talked about this not on the podcast but at length uh particularly in relation to the movie Blue Valentine with Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams, because it was a similar situation in which Michelle Williams' character receives oral sex from Ryan Gosling and has, like... Lucky woman. Right? And has, like, an amazing orgasm. And because of that scene, the film got an NC-17 rating, which is fucking ridiculous, okay? Because let's take a look at, I don't know, every Saw movie that has an R rating... Or, for instance, uh, here's a good one. Lord of the Rings Return of the King has a PG-13 rating, despite the fact that, like, severed heads are lobbed across a wall. That's just good fun. I mean, a woman's orgasm, that's way more horrifying than <laughs> beheading. Like, I mean, you could even make the comparison where there are plenty of things where a guy orgasms and it doesn't get the NC-17. Or, for instance, sexual violence against women. I Spit on Your Grave is an R-rated movie which features horrifically realistic rape scenes. And that's fine. But the minute a woman is enjoying herself, it's bad. Which so, it's kind of hard it's kind of hard to quantify the like being angry about that because again in this film Kelly McDonald's character is only fourteen and I do feel very strongly about underage girls and like having relations with older, older men dudes. who are preying on them for the most part, usually. And but it's just I just don't understand why of all the things that are shown in this movie and other movies why a woman or a girl or whatever enjoying sex is so so taboo it's because sexism no i mean i yes that was a a rhetorical (laughs) i don't understand why so i understand why (laughs) have you seen uh, the documentary this film is not yet rated I have not. It's been it's a re- it's a really good documentary that goes into exactly what you're talking about. Like you're you're going to stand on your feet clapping throughout most of the film. Probably, uh, it, yeah. it just it you know exposes all the hypocrisies and like points out uh, what scenes have to be cut from which movies. I think it actually directly brings up the Blue Valentine. I actually, well, might Blue be Valentine older than Blue Valentine. Was a huge controversy because yeah. both Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams were very vocal in interviews about the whole thing, being like, "This is so ridiculous." I think. Ryan Gosling said something to the effect of, like, we can watch a woman get her head chopped off with a chainsaw, but we can't watch her have a good time, or something like that, as yeah. a paraphrase, obviously. Yeah, wasn't but, that, like, the beginning of, like, Ryan Gosling being 
not a feminist icon, but definitely like ladies are super into him because he seems like a cool guy in addition to being really handsome. I love Ryan Gosling and I very much appreciate him and the work that he's done to like at least like bring awareness to sexism in Hollywood because that's that's exactly what a good male ally does is he uses his privilege and his position to shed light on the problems of others. And if Ryan Gosling, the most beautiful, wonderful, talented man, aside from Chris Evans in the world, can do that, <sighs> so be it. I would just like to make a note that now that Ryan Gosling is acting again, he will soon be my Chris Evans. <laughs> and they... also, how dare you say what you said just now? That is ridiculous. <laughs> I can't believe I agreed to do this podcast Chris with Evans you. is also like a, a super like good male feminist ally. Yeah, though. but you said he's more beautiful than Ryan Gosling. He is. I'm sorry. He's not. He's not. He's Kyle, not, he's not. He's Kyle, not, do you want to ho- co-host this podcast too? <laughs> yeah, sure. Hey, oh Tyler, welcome to Let the Right Films In. Um, Kayla, it's so nice to have you as a guest. <laughs> you guys suck. <laughs> Kayla, what movies have you seen recently? I will kill both of you. I will go to North Carolina to kill Kyle. You're threatening my co-host. I can't stand that. <laughs> so so one, one last thing on train spotting before we, we bring it to a close. There's one scene that... that uh, that really stood out to me at the beginning of it, where he basically just um, throws all of these insults toward the hypocrisy of mainstream drug use in terms of like uh, like garbage food, uh, pharmaceutical abuse. Um, I can't remember like what else in it was. Acceptable way. Yeah. That was not a Scottish accent. Holy shit. That was, that was good though. Hang on, can we hear that again? Just isolated. <laughs> can we begin with that. As good as my Boston accent, if not better. <laughs> She's wicked good at accents. <laughs> my uh, my Chris Hemsworth accent was decent. Anyway, sorry, Kyle. Continue. No, it I just, wasn't. I just ruined no, that. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was just it was a nice section because it is it actually provided some weight uh, to the argument of heroin addicts, which is really hard to do. Um, and the fact that they included that and all like kind of adds to the whole. Like, this movie isn't just about downplaying, um, you know, hard drugs. It's not about demonizing them. Yeah. It's a realistic view of, like, hey, this is why these people feel this way about heroin, because the whole world is filled with people who do terrible things to their body, and this is just one other way of doing that. Yeah, I did have a good... I really... That's in my notes. I really enjoyed how they had all these people, like, shit-talking their heroin use while, like, drinking whiskey, smoking cigarettes. So good. Yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, I just I just love that scene. Um, I was gonna do uh, an accent and I changed my mind. Smart, smart move. Um, what's so your dumb. experience of Danny Boyle other than this movie? I guess. Oh, Danny Boyle. Tyler's all about this. I I know you are. I just don't want to know. Like, okay. So my da- my experience with Danny Boyle. Thank you, uh, host. By the way, for asking me this important <laughs> question. <laughs> no, Kyle's a much better host. He really should replace. One of us, probably me. Anyways, Danny Boyle. Uh, I first The first Danny Boyle movie I saw was 28 Days Later. I had never seen a movie quite like that, and I've been in love with Danny Boyle and Killian Murphy ever since. I was say, isn't Killian Murphy your Chris Evans, really? Like, yeah, are you gonna... yeah, he's actually my <laughs> Chris Evans. Let's be honest Evans. here. He's, uh, I, his, he just had a movie, Aloft, come out on DVD that I still need to see. We should go get that today. Oh, we can Danny Anyways, Boyle, Danny yeah, Boyle, Danny Boyle, not Killian Murphy. Well, you said the thing. And I'm sorry. I'm okay. I just him. he's beautiful blue eyes. I couldn't. <sighs> so beautiful, beautiful. But and Danny Boyle, um, he directed 28 Days Later, which was like really no movie I'd ever seen before. I saw that, and I kind of 
fell in love with it and I still really love it. I feel like it's one of those movies that holds up from my when I was a teenager that I still really love and not in that I know I love it because I was a teenager at the time way. I went on to see 127 hours. I cried like a baby at the end of that movie and just the way he uses the music at the end and the way the, 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 the saturation, the, the colors, the, best part of that movie. the colors in that movie are incredible. I remember specifically a moment where we zoom from James Franco through the crevice he's in all the way to his car where there's like a Gatorade bottle with just like this, the most beautiful beverage you've ever seen that he's just thinking about. And that movie is just beautiful and so good. I saw Slumdog Millionaire, which I loved, even though it's I like it less than a number of those other movies. I really, the only time, and this is because I haven't seen The Beach either, I should know. The only thing he's disappointed me with is Trance, which was a baffling, not good movie. I haven't seen it. It's so, just James McAvoy is in that, right? yeah. So 127 Hours is kind of what I'm tie into because this film, we kind of started off as just being a disgusting and dirty film. And 127 Hours along with like Cannibal Holocaust is like one of the two films I refuse to watch because I can't stomach gore. I would say there is a really big difference between 127 Hours. No, I know, I know, but I I only, I know 127 Hours like sticks out in my mind. Cannibal Holocaust for another reason. I was just trying to think of films on top of my head that I like. I legitimately never want to see that movie. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't either. Um, But like, I, I just can't, I can't do it um, a lot of the times. Like I watch horror movies all the time. I'm still squeamish about that. And uh, I was in... I was in an editing class, and so the, these are all like you know, like semi film majors, like sitting around, and they've and some of them hadn't seen it, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I, I want to watch it. And I, I I left the room because I knew I didn't want to see it, and someone showed the scene, and um, everyone in that room, even the people who were super confident uh, in their ability to watch gore, just looked at me and were like, I I I wish I hadn't seen that. So it's well, even in twenty eight days later, he, Danny Boyle for, had. For someone who, for someone who hasn't directed a horror movie, he is really good at having those moments in his movies. We mentioned the ones in Train Spotting, and now 127 Hours, 28 Days Later, the thumbs and the eyes, and a number of the other moments in there. Oh yeah. Uh, Oh man. um, Forgot about the yeah. Yeah. I remember it all comes back. (laughs) uh, There was another one that I had before you two got very sad about that. Uh, Sunshine, the the last. 30 minutes or so of sunshine chris evans i was like guys do you know film. who's in that yes chris evans <laughs> is in that film but so God. is Karen murphy that's where our interests come together the, la- the last part of that movie is that's the closest he gets to ever making a horror movie is the end of that movie i haven't seen it please don't spoil it but so i'm not spoiling i have it but <laughs> that means i, I can't spoil it, spoil it. I, so we'll watch <laughs> I, it soon it. so i won't spoil it for you <laughs> I, that i realized <laughs> my brain had made the connection that my mouth was not but he he really wow he really includes in almost all of his movies some moment of true just oh, like he, he really likes to get under your skin oh yeah Except he's successful for, too like in slumdog millionaire i can't think of anything slumdog millionaire i feel like is a good movie but if it had been told in a non-linear fashion it would have been much better 
because I'm sorry, but I refuse to believe that every question in exact order relates to his entire life exactly in order. Like, that took me out of the movie that, so badly. I really like that movie, but compared to the rest of Danny Boyle's movies, it's very oscar baity. Compared to, like, so, it's funny, because, like, so many movies that win Best Picture, Slumdog won Best Picture, correct? Yes. Yes. So, like, it's weird to me, because I don't know if it's, like, movies are necessarily getting better, but I feel like some of the older movies that win, that have won Best Picture are so baffling to me. Like, Walk the Line is a good example of that. Like, I liked Walk the Line when I saw it, and I rewatched it, like, a year or two ago, and I was like, this was the best movie of 2005? Like, was it legitimately, or 2000, whatever year it was. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just feel like it doesn't, like, have that kind of lasting value, whereas... For instance, 2013 was that super year where, aside from American Hustle, I loved every movie that was nominated. And I felt like all of those had, like, a super lasting, like, not necessarily, like, cultural impact, but artistic relevance. Where, like, movies like Slumdog or The King's Speech or Walk the Line or... Okay, I'm not even going to get into Crash because that'll turn into a 10-minute rant. But... Oh, boy. <laughs> I know of Crash. So we've all we've already had a crash bash. Okay, then let's not let's not get into that. Uh, Have we? We had a crash bash. Yes. Oh, Paul um, Haggis is a hack. Fuck him. Anyway. Yeah, we also <laughs> did that. Shots fired again. But to keep it on the, both that point, but and Danny Boyle. So we have this Steve Jobs com- movie coming out soon. And where do you? I mean, I guess it comes out soon, so there's no point prognosticating. But let's do it anyways. Where do you think mm-hmm. that movie is going to fall in kind of the Danny Boyle's oeuvre or even just in terms of Oscar movies? Which one of us? Kyle, Kyle go ahead. First. Me? Okay, so I don't... I feel like I have a cheap answer, though. I feel like my answer is shitty, so I, I, I guess I'll get it out of the way. I've actually been thinking about... I think it's kind of the only other comparable film that's come out recently. I've been thinking about this. Well, it's a little different. I'm thinking about the social network, which is not the same thing. Obviously, this is a biopic. This is not based off of. This is based off of his book, right? I believe, I believe so. so. Yes. Yeah. So I, I've just I've been wanting to rewatch Social Network recently. I don't know why. It's just been a movie that stuck with me. It's uh, a great movie. Yeah. It's, it's. I know why, but it's. Uh, I've I've watched it several times already, and just keep going back to it. And so I hope uh, it's dramatized enough to have. Um, just that wonderful flow that that movie had. I don't know why that's coming to my mind, I guess because Mark Zuckerberg's kind of the only other big tech uh, icon that's been photographed in that way, or at least on that scale. Um, I mean, yeah, I can relate to that. I hope that the Steve Jobs movie surprises me because when the, they started promoting for the social network, I was like, this is going to be so stupid. I suppose right. that's the movie <laughs> you want to acquit. You want this one to kind of emulate. The- yeah, definitely. It's like, and it's also directed by another very Prolific. specific auteur, David and David Fincher, and we didn't we, know Jesse Eisenberg was going to give that seminal performance, but I think we know going into this that Michael Fassbender can do that thing. The thing though is like with Michael Fassbender, you expect him to be good, mm-hmm. and with Jesse Eisenberg at that point in his career, he was still like you know knockoff Michael Sarah pretty much. But yeah, we, you were just shocked at his like ability to convey. Was, yeah, that. he's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I will never doubt him in a movie again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch that movie. I was tonight. so glad when that movie came out because I was vouching for Jesse Eisenberg when everybody, <laughs> not when, 
when a number of my friends, at the very least, were calling him knockoff Michael Sarah. And I'm like, first of all, he's older than Michael Sarah. That's ridiculous. He's <laughs> also really like wickedly intelligent, from what I can tell from any of the interviews that he's he's had. He's just and he makes know, more interesting choices. Yeah, is, it's. Is, yeah, no, no I shots would say, Michael yeah. Sarah, but it's better. No, yeah, Jesse Eisenberg is 100%. If you have to pick, like, your awkward, curly-haired white guy, like... Zombieland forever. You should go with that. And Adventureland. Adventureland's pretty good. Yeah, so I think for, like, a Steve Jobs biopic by, da- by Danny Boyle, I hate that that's, like, the thing I want. It's like, I want another experience like Social Network. But that was just such a good experience. The thing with Social Network, though, is I feel like the Social Network legitimately surprised everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if we ever will get another experience like that because it was just but, so like it had they have similarities where as like with both of these movies, they have all of the components that they need to succeed. Great mm-hmm. director. Great. Well, OK, I have some feelings about Aaron Sorkin, but whatever. Right. Um, for the most part, a great writer. Talented. Um, talented actors and actresses. But that idea that something like this can't be interesting or can't be like a good movie because like um like a movie about facebook and who would have thought that that would be like the best movie of the year like i would have never guessed that i would have never thought that and so for for the jobs biopic my hope is that it will reveal greater truths in the way that um you know for for social network it was like oh how people do how do people interact how do these characters interact in this premise that they're building a, a platform for people to connect and they just can't seem to connect to each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas now you're dealing with something on so much broader of a scale. I mean, think about the ubiquity of Apple. Think about all it represents, good and evil. And then all of that focused into one man. You hope that that movie is going to be able to focus on its characters in such a way while also evoking all of the products that are, you know, ubiquitous across our lives. You just can't get away from it, you know? Yeah. And that's even just in the titles, like Facebook, the social network was called the social network. And it, you had your Andrew Garfield wasn't just a good actor in the movie. He was a, he had a great character in that movie. There were a number of great characters in the movie. Right. The jobs movie is the title of it is jobs. And it's all you can all think all you can think looking at it is just any other biopic and sometimes you get some really good ones but other times you get like jay edgar and i think i mean honestly i think more than aaron sorkin which counts for something but not as much with me but danny boyle's involvement is something that at least gives me some hope that this won't be what it looks like it easily could be which you is, just you want that style you want that snap and pizzazz that's gonna make it not be boring you know that's like that was what was so they drove about the social network so much my hope is that like a that fassbender like is just phenomenal in it which you know i have confidence that he that, that he will be but especially in those turtlenecks mm-hmm. oh yeah those turtlenecks but the thing is it's like an actor like michael fassbender <laughs> can warm. be good even if what he's given to work with isn't necessarily good. He's talented enough that regardless of, the, regardless of the overall quality of the movie, I have no doubt that his performance will be amazing. But we get plenty of that during Oscar season, like a great performance elevating a movie that's just so-so. We've already gotten a couple of those this year f- yeah. from what people have been saying. And I just, it would feel like such a waste of time if you got all these people together and all you have are a couple great performances in another standard biopic about a great man, a great white man, especially. Yeah. What's going to be great is that we're going to have Michael Fassbender be Steve Jobs, and he's going to be 
a, a damn video game character next year. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, oh, that Assassin's Creed movie. Oh my yeah. god, I forgot about that. Oh my That's god, he's gonna be wearing a cape, murdering people. I, in... It's gonna be so good. Oh uh, my god, I I mean I really enjoy those games. It. I mean, if they're going to whitewash it, I hope they at least don't set it in the Middle East, but... Oh, no, I hope he, I hope they just <laughs> oh, God. make Fassbender a little tan and go, no, oh, he's... Put some no, on him. This okay. is Egyptian now. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to bring like out the Assassin's Creed knowledge. The main character in that... He's they're not basing it off the game. They're not basing it off the game. a white guy, for the most part, with some... Mm. I, on, ah, no, I don't know that for sure. He's very pale in the in the thing. Yeah, makes, no, he's gonna be something else. I don't know. It's don't know. it looks it's gonna be real dumb, just like every other. Yeah, it's gonna be game real movie. Dumb. It's, it's I can't wait. Dumb. It's just I don't I if it's gonna be dumb, I, I just want it to be less offensive than it could be. Yeah, which just yeah, don't cast like it in the Middle East starring a bunch of white people, please. <laughs> movie gods, if you hear us. Yeah. Anyways, God. that is a movie that is completely unrelated. Sorry. To no, it's all good. All right, so Six Degrees of Danny Boyle. <laughs> no, I mean we want. I mean we wanted to talk about him too, so it's fine. But yes. yeah, so I'm gonna launch into my trivia. If you don't, we have mind. to do recommendations first. Oh, would you? Oh, <laughs> I'm so good at this itinerary. Okay, yes, recommendations. The itinerary we have right in front of us. I can't see the screen. Uh, it says right there. That's actually the part you can see right there. I can't because the window reflection. Guys. Sorry. <laughs> we are this podcast so I'm hosting is really getting off the rails because of you guys. <laughs> if uh, you could just, see, you know, work up your game I, a little bit. I know I could cut these things out, so it's not a big deal. I'm just going to start over don't again. Don't cut this out, please. It's so good. Anyway. It, it could go into your, Don't okay. cut my podcast. <laughs> I'm the captain I don't of the know. ship now. I don't know how he did this. We have all this stuff on our side, and yeah, he's taken over. All right, well, that's train spotting and a few other associated things, including jobs, Assassin's Creed, other Requiem stuff. Requiem for a Dream. Mm-hmm. It's a very diverse conversation, but we're going to get into our recommendations now related to train spotting. Kayla, I know the audience has been waiting for it. <laughs> It's time for the Chris Evans corner in a new spot. Go. All right. So the movie that I have light bulbed upon recommending for this podcast uh, stars Chris Evans. Wonderful, beautiful, perfect Chris Evans. <laughs> Kyle's nemesis on this podcast. I've given up, Kyle. I'm sorry. Um, it's called Puncture, and it stars Chris Evans as a drug-addicted lawyer who is trying to take on a pharmaceutical company that is blocking it's if i remember correctly it's a needle that like makes it easier to inject drugs into people basically sure and so obviously you want that for very sick people but he kind of also selfishly wants it for his own drug addiction and it features him battling his demons battling in court yada yada it's it's actually it's a, it's a really good it's a pretty good movie battling his abs so i thought wasn't he a lawyer in Limitless, or is that someone else? That's Bradley Cooper. How Bradley dare Cooper. Sorry. you? Sorry, other generic also, handsome white guy. I don't guy. think Bradley Cooper is a lawyer in that movie. I think you're actually thinking of Matthew McConaughey and The Lincoln Lawyer. <laughs> All three of those movies came out at per- at almost exactly the same time. All the covers look so similar, and, and I was not all, interested yes. in any of them, so I just yes. take shots from afar. So anyway, Puncture with Chris Evans. 
wonderful man. How do you you mean the generic white guy who just got confused with Matthew McConaughey and Bradley Cooper? <laughs> I did not get them confused because they're all so similar. Above them, <laughs> except for McConaughey, because McConaughey is a legitimately amazing actor. But anyway, I mean, I would kiss any of them on the mouth in a heartbeat. I'm just saying that like it's just not that different. What's your recommendation, Tom? I'm, I'm so happy having someone else to fight back against the Chris Evans takeover. <laughs> Kayla, anything else on Chris Evans today? Um, did he tweet out a cute picture of cats or anything? He did do a dub smash with Haley, Wo- oh, Haley, Wo- Haley Atwell. I swear to God, I didn't think it was actually anything. <laughs> it's for charity. They're doing dub smash wars for charity. How can you be mad about that? Charity. Anyway, I hate, Tyler, I hate you, Chris Evans. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you bring that into our podcast? My Chris Evans free recommendations for this week. I had one, but I thought of another one that I'm going to do too. I'm cheating. The easy one is something I've already mentioned. Twenty Eight Days Later by Danny Boyle. It's the movie that got me into Tan- Danny Boyle that brought about fast zombies. Although I know they're not actually zombies. In case anybody who's a zombie purist is listening to this, please don't. Actually, go you know ahead and tweet at me on Twitter. Go ahead and tweet me. I Honestly, need, I need George Romero does now. not get to be the sole authority on what a zombie is. Anyways, Chill it, out. it brought about fast people, former people, trying to kill you. But it's also great for another of uh, number of other reasons. It's a really beautiful movie and a horrifying movie. And you get these great small performances by Christopher Eccleston and Brendan Gleeson, who need to be in more things always, all the time. Killian Murphy's so very, very beautiful in it. I also I'm uh, gonna mention Filth. It is another movie that was based on or an Irvine Welsh novel. It stars James McAvoy, but it is not directed by Danny Boyle. It's got a lot of the same, you know, the same elements where it's a it's like a black comedy that's dark and it stars this bad guy, but he's even a worse guy it doesn't work quite as well and it's meant to be more fun and less of a you know social statement maybe that's because it wasn't danny boyle directing i'm not sure and i didn't even pay that much attention to it but it was <laughs> this is a really good, good recommendation, recommendation. <laughs> great recommendation yeah, no, but, kind of fuck it but whatever it's, but if, you, know, you, no, watch if it. you if you did enjoy train spotting it would be worth checking out because it is from the same author and it carries a lot of the same it carries a lot of the same kind of tenets to it and the same kind of vibe in certain ways even if it is not as well done as long lasting as meaningful also james mcavoy as a cad is always fun although i do remember the language in that movie is kind of incredible (laughs) kyle have you come up with a recommendation today yeah i was not prepared for recommendation i've got a few things off the top of my head so i was i was researching for this podcast um i looked up a few interviews with irvine welsh he's actually in the movie he's um yeah who is he in the movie again I forgot to look for it. He helps Bigsby with something. He's he's trying to sell the drugs. He's trying to, he helps him to try to sell the drugs. I oh, think. in that one of those last scenes, probably. Yeah, and there's actually an interview with him on set about it. You can see him in character, which is pretty cool. Uh, and there's also a great interview with him on the BBC during the Scottish national vote. It's like in 2012, 2013. 
Um, and he's just discussing with, uh, I think a lawyer from, from Britain, just about his feelings about it and train spotting gets brought up. I recommend it. It's really interesting. Even if, especially if you are like me, a dumb American who does not know much about that situation over there. If you just want to get, uh, someone who is, you know, train spotting has a lot of allusions to that, uh, specifically Ewan McGregor's speech near the middle of the movie where it kind of starts turning bad, uh, about, um, you know colonization uh and you know i'm not taking any stands i'm just saying that it's interesting to uh hear about and i also re- recommend uh seven just rewatching seven because it's an excellent movie and it's also very dingy in the way that uh train spotting is and we've brought up david fincher in this podcast with flight club already and social network and i feel like uh they both did an excellent job at making really disgusting worlds that you would almost never really never ever want to live in so Fincher and Danny Boyle are honestly more comparable than I previously thought, like, now that we're making all these comparisons. <laughs> and I greatly enjoy the work of both uh, directors. Yeah, I mean, I'm down. I love David Fincher. is one of my favorite directors because he, you know, he grows. He Word. Learns. It's cool. So just don't watch Alien 3. Just don't. I'm good. Just pretend, I mean, that's not... I think it's been kind of proven that wasn't totally his fault. Yeah, pretend that doesn't exist. I don't know. I watched it recently, and I was like, oh, Fincher, you hurt me. An Alien 4 starring Sigourney Weaver exists? Alien Resurrection. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Didn't, like, Joss Whedon write that or something? Yeah, and he complains about it all the time. Yeah. Joss Whedon apparently just can never own up to when he makes mistakes. Yeah. Kayla's not into Joss Whedon. I haven't seen that one yet. That's the only Alien out of the core Alien film I I haven't seen yet, so I'm... We could do a bonus episode on it. Oh my god! <laughs> sure, sure. I'll, go. I think, I'll watch Alien Resurrection that, um, for fun. Emily director. Yes. Directed? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So written by be... Joss Whedon, starring Winona Ryder and uh, Sigourney Weaver. To date. Yeah. So all these great people involved in the fourth movie in the Alien franchise. And after, it all went wrong. After they made Alien Three, they made this. God, how did we get here? All right, this is. welcome to let the right films in this is what happens all the time anyways another fun fact about seven i just bought an awesome box set i found a garage sale two months ago so it didn't just happen but it's relevant does it have the notebook like the killer's notebook as the the case yeah i believe so great i i love that i used to have that and i gave it to someone and i regret that because you're dumb i had a dvd copy of the movie primal fear starring edward norton that like came in great movie bag and it was so cool, but I think Trent kept it. I love, uh, yeah, or, I love things like that where or, they package movies, like the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where it was like looked like it was a burned disc. Dude, oh my god! We, I mean, we could go off on that for a while, but there is definitely some really cool packaging for that movie. I think that's, I think that might be a Fincher thing. So many of his movies are packaged that way. Gone Girl had the uh, amazing Amy book with it. Oh, did it? I didn't. It's so I didn't end up buying it's that. Like, it's like cute, but it's creepy if you watch, like if you know the movie. But yeah, uh, funny story about the girl with the dragon tattoo packaging. So at the unnamed video store, uh, when that came out, we got those discs and we were like, oh my God, people are just going to burn copies of this and return (laughs) fake ones. Like we had to put stickers on all of them because we were so worried that people were going to just steal them and replace them with like blank CDs with with the name written on them. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet that was a real fear. It was. Was real. Was it a primal fear? <laughs> it was. It, it actually never mm. happened, so it was fine. <laughs> no one was that conniving. To... No, you'd okay. You'd be surprised though. We had one time this guy. Um, Are we getting into this? This is a good story. Oh, okay. <laughs> he rented a PlayStation Four game, 
and returned a disc, he had gone to the trouble of printing out the picture, like, on a sticker to put on a blank disc and return in the case. Guy was really desperate not to spend $60. It was a, it was a Madden game. It wasn't even like a good game. It was a fucking Madden game. But yeah, that was. Look, he needed his football thing. fix. That was Just... the most ridiculous thing that has ever happened to me. I think when I discovered that. That's great. That's pretty great. <laughs> anyway, Kyle, did you have some other movies as well? No, just watch Seven over and over because it's an excellent film. That's fair. I need to rewatch that too. What's in the box? Yeah, Kyle yeah. And I had a whole conversation that was just sending seven pictures to each other. <laughs> it was magical, and I screenshot it. What? I will I will say one thing about Fight Club. the The main thing that ruined it in my eyes is internet culture. Uh, like that movie could have just existed in my you know teenage bullshit mind, and you know it would have aged and I would have been okay. That's not for me. But because it has become such a weird obsession on the internet um, and all these different little fandoms about it, and it just came, it was one of those instances where culture ruined something for me and it was really unfortunate and the say, guys who started actual fight clubs yeah i would say that yeah. men's rights activists ruined that yeah 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 one, specifically that they missed the whole point first yes. of all about the the study of masculinity in that movie because it's mm-hmm. a very homoerotic movie it's kind of the best part about it yeah it's see brad pitt's dick very sub- yeah it's anyway it's great it's, it's great i'm just it. hey i'm just we all feel these things. It's fine. All right. I just so. want to let that marinate for a bit. About <laughs> Good. It. Yeah. Ended on that. Thank you. Oh, we still have our stats. Okay. So fun trivia, trivia for the week <laughs> before we get any farther off track. Too late. Um, so my fun trivia fact so of the week is that the worst toilet in Scotland, which looks disgusting and you would imagine is the most horrifying thing ever to deal with, was actually filled with chocolate and smelled delicious. So at least uh, Ewan McGregor was not like actually physically traumatized by having to shoot that scene. That didn't happen until he became Obi Wan. Yeah. He was just, uh, he was just so hungry during that scene. Yeah. So, wanna... so he has to act like horrifically nauseous and ill when really it's just delicious chocolate. Maybe it's like Hershey's chocolate, and he's really Maybe like magic. nauseous. <laughs> and f- pretty simple trivia for this week, as this is our first film from the uk from the uk that we've covered 42 of the films on the imdb 250 currently list the uk as their at least one of the countries that they were uh, developed in which is fun obviously the usa is the most dominant because what? usa usa no. oh. where's the imdb uh like where is it located was it born out of america the imdb the yeah. database? That's a really good question. Probably. Because there might, the there might be an inherent bias in that. Yeah. No. Our entire podcast is based around IMDb and we don't really know anything no, about it. No, it's based around America. <laughs> I was just curious. I'm sure, America. yeah, I'm sure it's an American yeah. invention, honestly. But yeah. That's our podcast. We've done it. Rambling and... Um, I would like to apologize for the very long break between episodes. As we touched on earlier in the episode, Tyler and I both had some pretty serious life stuff happen. Um, we hope to be back on a regular schedule. We will. We will be, yes. Uh, next week, we will be recording an episode about Alien with return guest Sean Lawfrey. Yay! Yay! And yeah. Kyle, As a new host, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I, <that's... laughs> what if it was just the four of us every episode? 
Kyle's coming back to host the podcast with me. Kayla will be on as guest, and Sean will be on as more important guest. We just hang a picture of Chris Evans in the background to distract Kayla all the time. <laughs> Kayla, look. Look over there. She's just praying to it. Right, She's look, just praying I just to, to Chris Evans doing right alien, now. Um, as a women's studies major, I have the most to talk about about aliens, so y'all can chill out. Also, it's Halloween month. And so we're really kicking into gear. Yes, so we're we will be doing horror movies and bonus episodes. Bonus episodes. As previously noted. Uh, we don't quite have the itinerary for that yet, but hopefully next episode we'll have that all worked out. Sean's definitely going to do one. We'll probably do a couple solo ones. I might make what Kyle watch a horror movie to come on for one of those. Yes. I've watched a lot of horror movies. This is true. Let's do that. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, so but, just as a heads up, the bonus movies will not be on the IMDb Top 250. Nope. So they should be, though. We'll be branching out. It's going to be really fun. Going to make our own 250 list for horror. <laughs> yes. But yeah. Thanks, guys. Both the RFI for, uh, 250. Mm-hmm. Me on. Thank you. Thank you for being on the podcast, Kyle. Appreciate it. Love talking about heroin. It's my favorite. Well, you know what? The next time I think about heroin, we will bring you on for some expert advice great. on the best uh, uses of it. In the uh, meantime, if you want to get in contact with us, please hit us up at ltrfipod at gmail.com. You can find all our episodes on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com dash ltrfipod. And you can find some more information, all of our past trivia and stats and all that at lettherightfilmsin.tumblr.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, Jurassic World is a terrible movie and always will be. I had, I had not. Oh, hey, dogs. Sorry about that. Yes. <sighs> oh, it's the dogs. <laughs> just, Special uh, guest dog. Yeah, sorry. Can we let them stop? Yeah, we can just keep talking until they stop and put this in the bonus content. <laughs> Great, yeah. Also, dog, those bloopers that we put at the Dog end content. There must be someone outside the house. That's the only reason that they would bark like that. Just breathe. Okay. It's not breathing. <sighs> Look at the cat. Just think of the cat. Okay, Anyways. Sound like NPR. Welcome back to Train Spotting. <laughs> <laughs>